So we are, of course, continuing our studies in Mark. Uh, so we're Mark chapter 7 today. So always uh, a great uh, privilege and pleasure, really, to come and be with you and share the Word of God with you. I, um, I trust that you're enjoying, really, and um, valuing our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying it. Um, yeah, good. Some, some are, so that's good. That's a good start. <laughs> Um, I thought I'd just kind of uh, do a quick, um, the story so far, as it were, the first uh, six chapters of Mark, I was just um, scanning through and, you know, just by way of summary, really. So we start with, with Jesus um, coming with his, uh, his message, the time has come, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. That's where he started, that is Still very much our message today, isn't it? Repent and believe the good news. It's amazing what people are very willing to believe. And yet when it comes to a message from a God of truth and light and love, they are immediately skeptical and have some other ideas. So repent and believe the good news. And he's preaching that, of course, in the synagogues, um, in the towns and villages, and increasingly, he's uh, out in the countryside. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big open-air ministry going on. He's down by the lakeside. Um, he's up on the, on the hillsides. Um, and even, in fact, out in desolate places. And what fantastic teaching it is. There's these great parables. Can I wander away from this mic? Is that all right? I kind of feel like you're beyond it. So well, I'm going to come on round. There are these great uh, parables, um, the parable of the sower, just the real king of parables. And in fact, Jesus says, you know, if you don't get this one, you won't get any of them. Um, and, that, you know, there are many more parables being shared, just a beautiful way of teaching. We know that he's teaching with great authority, um, and that's really causing people to sit up and take notice. We also know that... Um, at the back of all of this, um, Jesus is a man of prayer. There's a lot of prayer going on. We've got um, accounts of him being up very early in the morning and going out and praying. Um, and we've got accounts of him after all of this ministry taking place. Late in the evening, he goes up the mountain and he prays right through the night. Um, we've got the evil spirits jumping. I mean, they are just diving in all directions. And of course, we've got this account of uh, legion being cast out as well, and it's going to be freed of a, you know hundreds of demons, thousands of them. Tremendous healings going on. Um, up to this point, we've got six accounts, six specific accounts of very particular healings. So Jesus has healed uh, the fever. This was Peter's mother-in-law's fever. We've got uh, the man with leprosy. Um, we've got the paralytic being lowered down through the roof. Uh, some commentators reckon that is through Jesus, the roof of Jesus' own house <laughs> coming through the roof. He's got a house in Capernaum. Um, we've got that shriveled hand that stretch out your hand and it's healed. We've got the healing of the, the woman with that uh, hemorrhage, 12 years, spent all of her money, seen all of the doctors, nothing's happened. Um, and she says, doesn't she, if I could just touch the hem of his garment. Well, she starts a revolution there. 
Um, and then, of course, there's Jairus' daughter as well, raised from the dead. And we've got Jesus healing with commands. He speaks to the fever and commands it to go. We've got Jesus laying hands, laying hands on the man with leprosy. I mean, that's breaking all the taboos. And remember that beautiful, the man says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And he says, I am willing, be clean. And he's cleansed. Such beautiful grace there. Um, We've got the disciples anointing people with the oil. We've got the woman touching the hem of his garment. And then we find that that uh, pattern is repeated again and again. And everybody's wanting to touch the hem of his garment. And as many as do are getting healed. And then we've got this beautiful um, picture of Jesus with this, this, you know, we've got this tragic incident with the girl that's, that's died. And he, he just takes her by the hand, doesn't he? And he says... Little girl, I say to you, arise, and just lifts her up. I mean, it's so gentle and beautiful, and yet so powerful. So all of this is going on. There are crowds. Um, there are five accounts, I counted. There are five accounts of unnumbered crowds with unnumbered miracles and, uh, and uh, demon uh, uh, exorcisms going on. Um, and plus, we've now got the disciples themselves, We've got this beautiful account of how Jesus calls the 12 to be with him, and then he sends them out. That's the pattern, isn't it? He calls them to be with him, and then to be sent out. And they get sent out, and you know they're having a great time as well. We've got these three so-called nature miracles. The calming of the storm, when Jesus stands up in the boat and says, Peace, be still, and it just... And they go, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And we've got the feeding of the 5,000 um, and the walking on the water. Those are the so-called nature miracles. Um, and, of course, there is massive speculation about who is this? Who is this guy? Um, Herod is convinced this is John the Baptist um, come back from the dead, which would be very convenient for him if it was. Um, and people are speculating about Elijah, and, you know, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of uh, you know, speculation going on. But Jesus has also had his fair share of controversies, and this chapter here hits one um, right, on the, right on the nail as well. Um, so controversy about blasphemy. If you remember when he heals the paralytic, he says, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes and Pharisees say, well, who can forgive sins except God alone? This guy's blaspheming. And Jesus says, well, no, good observation. I take your point. Um, let me just help you with that. What's easier to say? Stand up and walk or your sins are forgiven so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, stand up, take up your pallet and walk. And that you, know, you just think, oh, just follow the logic through. Join the dots. So if no one can forgive sin except God alone and this guy is doing these miracles, maybe he is God, you know. Um, and then he gets, uh, he gets accused of um, eating with tax collectors and sinners. This is after uh, Matthew is saved, Levi is saved, and throws a big party. And basically the accusation is you're mixing with the wrong people. You're mixing with the, you know, you're mixing with the dodgy people. You're not mixing with the holy people. And Jesus is so clever, isn't he, the way that he responds to that. He says, oh, no, I, I, I haven't come for the righteous. I've come for the wicked. You know, the doctor, it's not the, the well that need a doctor, it's the sick. I, I've come for the week. Don't you guys worry about your pretty little heads about it, you Pharisees and scribes. I've not come for you. I've only come for the wicked. 
And of course, you know, the inference is, you know, how those, you know, anyway, well, we'll anyway, right, carrying on. Um, then, he, then there's this argument about your disciples don't fast. And really the accusation is about there's too much fun going on here. These people are too happy. There's too much joy. There's too much rejoicing. You're not being dignified enough. You're not being religious enough. And Jesus gives this parable and says, look, this is like a wedding. You know, at a wedding, people aren't fasting at a wedding. They're rejoicing. That's what you're seeing. You're seeing the wedding here. You're seeing, you know, the Son of Man come for his bride. That's what you're seeing. That's why there's all that joy and rejoicing. Um, And, you know, we should be accused of the same, I would say. Let us be accused of the same. Too much fun, too much joy. These people can't be religious enough. Um, Got a couple of um, issues about the Sabbath. The disciples um, are seen to um, uh, glean uh, grains of wheat as they walk through a field and they, they rub them in their hands just to rub the chaff off so you get to get down to the grain and eat the grain. Well, that is work. That's preparing food. That's work. They're working on the Sabbath, you know, tut, tut, tut. And Jesus really answers that by saying, um, uh, the, the Sabbath was, uh, you know, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for man. And I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, so I make the rules. And if I say it's okay, then it's okay. He gives that example, doesn't he, of David, when David ate the sacred bread and gave it to his men. And, you know, there's, there are no consequences of that in Scripture. There's no, uh, you know, the lightning bolts don't fall um, on David. And he's trying to liken himself to David and say, look, you know, David was a, sh- a foreshadowing of Christ. You know, you guys know that and appreciate that. Look what he did. Look what I'm doing. Join the dots. Join the dots. Um, and then there's this great one about healing on the Sabbath as well, isn't it? And Jesus' heart is broken, really. He's so disturbed that these guys are more interested in, is he breaking the law by working on the Sabbath than the welfare of the guy that's getting healed, the, the shriveled hand, you know? They're, they're not concerned about this guy, and they don't see that God is working in this guy. And, you know, Jesus is really churned up about all of that and, and angry about there. And he says to them, you know, what, what's lawful then? To do good on the Sabbath or to do evil? To save life or kill? What's, what's the law say? And just trying to get them to think a bit and again join the dots. And then finally, we've, the most recent controversy we've got is um, that he casts out demons by the prince of demons. You know, and he's accused of being... Uh, Beelzebub, basically, in, you know, in league with Beelzebub, and, and Jesus wor- warns them really, really sternly about not blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and not crossing the line there. Um, and um, so now we are on to this next controversy here. So um, we're going to go from uh, one chapter seven one through to twenty three. I'm going to do it in sections for you, um, and I'm going to just go through to um, the end of verse thirteen at the moment. Uh, The Pharisees and some of the scribes gathered around him when they had come up from Jerusalem. So this is getting really serious now. The big shots from Jerusalem are arriving on the scene. They had seen some of his disciples were eating their bread with unwashed hands, impure hands, that is, unwashed hands. And then we've got this bit in brackets here, which Mark is adding for the benefit of his 
Gentile readers in Rome, and of course we benefit from it as well. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they carefully wash their hands, thus observing the traditions of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they cleanse themselves. And there are many other things which they have received in order to observe, such as the washing of cups and pitchers and copper pots. The Pharisees and the scribes asked him, asked Jesus, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat their bread with impure hands? Then Jesus said to them, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men, neglecting the command of God you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, you are experts at setting aside the command of God in order to keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of his father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or his mother, whatever I have that would help you is Corban. That is to say, given to God. You no longer permit him to do anything for his father or his mother, thus invalidating the word of God by your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many things such as that. I've got four points really to make um, from Jesus' reply. And the first point here is I want you to notice the priority that Jesus places on Scripture. He immediately responds with a quotation from the Scriptures, from Isaiah. And he references further on uh, quotations um, from the Torah, from the books of Moses, um, looking at the, the fifth commandment there. Um, and he, uh, he says that, you know, you, you've got to get your priorities right. The traditions of the elders um, was a, a whole set of commandments and regulations that had been amassed, particularly by the Pharisees and the scribes, that went beyond Scripture. They went above and beyond Scripture. Um, and the Pharisees, the accusation here that the Pharisees were making was that the disciples are not obeying those additional extra commands. Um, and Jesus really um, strips them away. And he says, you know, what's important is the commands of God. And these things are not so important. Um, now, um, traditions arise. So traditions themselves are not necessarily, you know, they're not wrong just because they're traditions. We have traditions. We have ways in which we go about doing things. There are, uh, you know, you'll find there are traditions amongst all the different mainstream denominations. That's mostly, particularly amongst the, the evangelical Protestant denominations, that's really the big differences between them. You won't find many differences between them in terms of um, key doctrinal beliefs, but you will find that the way they go about doing things, the way they organize themselves uh, and organize their meetings and stuff is, is different. And I want you to recognize that, you know, we, we have our own traditions, we have our own ways of going about doing things. Um, but I also want you to be able to draw a clear distinction between What's just our practice? What's just the way we do it? And what is a command of God? And, you know, obviously we, 
<coughs> we do not want to be in a situation where the way that we do things is setting aside the command of God. In fact, we're trying to uphold the, the, you know, the scriptures more and more. But, you know, I want you to recognize that's the way that things go. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. You just need to understand the priority here. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's setting the word of God as the highest priority. And he's saying whenever there's a contradiction between the way that you do things and what the word of God says, well, the word of God should take the priority um, and not these other things. I also want you just to recognize this is desperately petty, isn't it? Really, desperately petty. I mean, it's quite an obtuse attack on Jesus. They're actually not saying you're doing anything. They're saying your disciples aren't washing their hands. It's not even a case of they're not obeying the word of God, they're not obeying the law of Moses. They can't get them on that. They're just saying, we've got this tradition and your guys aren't following it. And Jesus is kind of saying, you're missing the whole thing here. I mean, you know, what I've just summarized about all these miracles that are taking place and this tremendous teaching that's going on and this massive revelation that's happening, and they, they've missed, oh, he didn't wash his hands. You know, they've missed the whole thing. If you're a delegation of religious teachers coming up from the capital, from Jerusalem, you'd think you'd want to engage on something a little bit more meaty than they didn't wash their hands. But these guys are blind to all of that. And they're dealing with these small things, which is why Jesus says, what's your heart response? There's no, you know, where is your heart on all of this? Your heart's way off. Okay. Um, next point there um, is to notice... Um, that Jesus is concerned about how we honor our mothers and fathers. He's concerned about the fact that that uh, commandment, that fifth commandment, is being obeyed. And it worries him when there are other things that stop that happening. In this case, it's this tradition of this, this business of Corban, which is one of those traditions of the elders that's crept in. And he's saying, look, that's stopping you from obeying your mothers and from honoring your mothers and fathers. That matters to him. So let me just kind of put it out there and say, um, how are you doing in terms of honoring your mother and father? It's a, it's a, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. Um, these days, the financial side is not so much of an issue. Um, but make sure mum and dad, you know, are okay and not, not, not struggling, not going without. Make sure they've got their finances in order. Perhaps help them, you know, if there are benefits to be claimed and pensions and things to be claimed. Can you help them do that, get that right? Can you help them get the right deal with, uh, you know, the, the um, fuel supplies and things like that? Can you help them in that way? Are you able to uh, assist them, you know, when, when they need help with things? Honour them. The key is honour. Um, and it is difficult, um, you know, when um, particularly, I think, perhaps when later in life, when illness starts to creep in, you know, I, I know m many stories where um, you end up taking perhaps quite a lot of flack, quite a lot of abuse from parents that are ailing and, um, uh, you know, not uh, quite in control of all their faculties anymore. Uh, and there's quite a lot of pain, isn't there, involved in trying to honor your mother and father, um, and, um, you know, the issues involved, all sorts of guilt issues about, um, you know, securing care and support for them and 
you know, realizing, well, actually, I can't care for them as much as they need to be cared for anymore. Those are, you know, serious issues. But the, the, the anchor point there is honor. Are you honoring them? Do you think you could stand before the Lord Jesus and say, I'm honoring, I'm seeking to honor my mother and father in the things that I'm, I'm doing and trying to, to get sorted out? That goes on posthumously as well, I would say. I, 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 um, uh, I know what it's like um, when a parent passes away and you're left with a lot of stuff to sort out. And, um, I, I, you know, you can be, it, it, that can stir you up a lot as well. So just learning to get over some of the, 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 the bad stuff, really, and remember the good stuff. I think I found it very instructive to find that when, because uh, there aren't many funerals in, in the Bible, um, and there aren't many eulogies in the Bible, but one big eulogy is what David says about Saul when he learns that Saul has died, um, right at the beginning of, um, of, uh, Second King, of uh, Kings. And he, in, and he realizes... Um, he tells the story of Saul's heyday when Saul was doing really well and he doesn't labor on the bad stuff um, that Saul fell into really later on in life. He honors him by telling the good stuff and letting the bad stuff by, die with him. So that's one, one way of honoring parents posthumously as well. Right, enough of that. I just wanted to say that. Let the Spirit teach you honor your father and mother. Okay, I'm going to read on. 14 down to 23, and we'll get the other two points here. Um, so Jesus has, has, has kind of, you know, he's just had this head-to-head, really, with the, with the scribes and the Pharisees, and now he goes a little bit more public. Um, and he says, after he called the crowd to him again, he began saying to them, listen to me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside the man which can defile him if it goes into him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So that's a parable. He's talking to them in a parable. Okay. When he'd left the crowd and entered the house, the disciples questioned him about the parable. And he said to them, are you so lacking in understanding also? That's a rough one, isn't it? Can you imagine that, the Lord Jesus going, are you guys so dull that you don't get it? Are you so lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach and is eliminated? And then we've got Mark's comment again in brackets. Thus he declared all foods clean. Very significant for Mark writing to his Gentile converts in Rome. Jesus declares all food clean. And he was saying, says a bit more, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. It's been said, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. 
the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. Jesus shines his light and reveals the incorrect and prideful and arrogant assumption of the scribes and Pharisees. They were starting from a premise that they were pure and that everything out there was impure and that in order to keep themselves holy, you know, they had to keep themselves cleansed. They were saying that the problem is out there. And Jesus turns that the correct way up and says, no, no, no. What's out there has come from in here. The, 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 The pollution that there is in the world is proceeding from your heart. What's the source of violence and war and injustice and wickedness? What is the source of all of that? You know, that stuff is not coming from the plants and the animals and the you know, natural geography of the earth around you. It's not coming from there. It's not coming from aliens. <laughs> you know, we are the source of those things. It's coming from our hearts. That's where all of the pollution comes from. So Jesus is actually saying to the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, that are seeking to wash their hands, he's saying, you are the polluters. You are the pollution. You know, it's coming from you. And what really needs to be cleansed is the heart. If the heart isn't cleansed, there's, you know, then that pollution is going to continue to flow and going to continue to flow. And this is the great thing about Christianity, you know, which I, you know, I really want you to rejoice in and celebrate and relish in. This salvation, this solution um, that, 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 you know, that the creator has procured for us um, is a radical solution. It's, it is a cleansing of the heart. All other religions rely on uh, regulations and instructions outside about how we should behave, but they do not because they cannot deal with the heart. But Christianity, Christianity is about a revolutionary new beginning. It's about that old heart being taken away and a new heart being placed in there. It's about a washing of regeneration and renewal in the spirit within a person so that then the goodness flows out of them and their lives are transformed and those around them are transformed and society is transformed and the world is transformed. That's how revolutionary it really is. But if you are someone who does not recognize the problem of your own heart, if you're like the Pharisees and you think, well, actually, the problem's out there, I'm okay, I've got myself sorted out, then you don't look for a savior. You don't look for that kind of salvation. What you look for is a, a system that you know, allows you to propagate your ideas and yourself and control others around you and keep others around you at bay. And that's what 
you know, religion in inverted commas, that's what religion's like. But Christianity is about transformation. It's about it's about renewal inside and restoration in the heart, beginning in the heart. Remember, that's what Jesus said, didn't it? He quoted that passage from Isaiah and said, you know, you, your hearts are far from me. You're not thinking about heart change. You're thinking about washing the hands, <laughs> outside things. So that's, um, that's the third point then, you know, about just recognizing the that Jesus says, no, the, pro- the, pro- the problem is in the heart. That's what we're trying to change. And that's quite a difficult thing to get across, you know. I think people are quite, I can just hear somebody saying, oh, you know, you're, you know, you're dissing me, you're oppressing me by telling me, you know, I've got to change, you know. But actually, you know, people have got to come to a place of repentance and recognize and fall on their knees and recognize I need a saviour. I cannot save myself. I can't improve myself. And we're not offering people, you know, a system of self-improvement. There's an awful lot of gospels out there about improve yourself. In fact, we, we drove past a poster, didn't we, um, on the way in. Apparently, there is a, there's a purity event going on, I think, even this weekend around here. So we couldn't quite see where it was. but um, And, you know, and it's going to be along the lines of, meditation and cleansing yourself with these crystals and that crystal, all that kind of thing. You know, we are, we're, we're, we're saying you cannot save yourself. You need a savior, and this is the savior that you need. And we want people to come to a place of repent and believe the good news. That's what we preach. That's what it's about. Okay, I'm going to finish off with, um, with the other thing here, just verse 19. Thus he declared all foods clean. So, so I just want to be, you know, clear. I just want to repeat that and just say, you know, we do not have to follow, uh, you know, kosher laws and religious laws about, you know, about foods. We understand here Jesus saying very clearly, you know, what you eat doesn't defile you and refraining from eating certain foods doesn't make you more holy. So these are not issues of holiness and righteousness and somehow being, you know, better for God, more presentable to God, um, if you do eat or if you don't eat, okay? Um, But I do want to say this. There are issues of conscience, and we need to recognize that, and the Bible teaches us about our consciences do matter. So, from a point of view of conscience, if you are wanting to avoid particular foods, if you're wanting to be vegetarian or vegan, or if you're wanting to avoid drinking alcohol, or, you know, there's a, there's a big wide range of, you know, stuff. If you're doing that for the sake of conscience, or indeed for medical reasons as well, um, you know, that's fine. I want you to understand that that's fine. And I want you to understand that the way that we behave towards one another is that we recognize those conscience issues. Now, if I have a conscience issue and I feel this is what's right for me, this is the way I should behave, these are the foods I should avoid or the drinks that I should avoid or, or you know, the clothes, you know, I don't want to go and buy clothes from this chain, you know, or I want to make sure I'm only eating fair trade chocolate or things like that there's you know 
there's an enormous range of conscience issues. Um, a lot of stuff about environment as well these days. So do I want to avoid single-use plastics and all that kind of thing? Th those are issues about how I feel what is right for me to do. And I'm able to, you know, my conscience is able to be, you know, to instruct me in those things. And the Bible teaches me not to violate my conscience. But what I can't do is I can't say, these are the things that I believe. And I'm a Christian and this is what God is telling all Christians to do. And therefore, if you're a Christian, you must not eat this food and you must buy these foods and you mustn't shop here. You say, I can't do that because it's not about holiness and righteousness, but it is about what's right for me and how I'm responding to my own conscience. And likewise, I have to respect the conscience of others that may be different and again, I need to respect that. And so, um, uh, you know, if I feel free to, you know, eat, eat red meat, um, I don't want to invite people over who I understand don't want to eat red meat and put it before them and say, look, this scripture here says you're free to eat all of this and you should eat all of this and you should be free of all these restraints. No, actually the Bible teaches me I need, I need to do the exact opposite. I need to make sure that if I'm eating with them, I'm not putting red meat out. I'm just using that as an example, you know. Um, I'm respecting where they're at, and I'm making sure that I'm not trying to cause them to stumble. So we understand that, yeah? These are conscience issues. Conscience issues are real and valid, and they're to be respected and understood um, but they're not issues of righteousness and holiness. And so they, you know, we're back to this priority issue, aren't we? They're, they're of a lower priority than the scriptures, but they do matter. They do matter. Good. I'm going to, I'm pretty much winded up there. So they were my four points. Look, we just said about the priority of the scriptures. Um, Jesus upholds the priority of the scriptures. We covered that thing about honoring your father and mother just think about that. I'll just, you know, ask the Lord, am I doing that correct? Am I, is there any way I'm dishonoring them? Is there any way I need to be honoring them? Because that's a good thing. Um, we talked about the problem of the, the, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And actually, we, we, we do need, you know, we do need to be saved. We do need to be cleansed. And thank God we have got such a wonderful salvation procured for us. Um, that, you know, does allow that, that washing of regeneration and renewal, that new heart. We've got all of that. Let's love it. Let's value it. Let's, proper, you know, let's proclaim it. And finally, just about eating the foods. And, and I've gone a little bit wider than food and talked about other conscience issues as well. Um, that, you know, they do, they do matter, but they're not about righteousness and holiness. Is that good? All got that? Well, that's pretty much it, really. So um, next week... Far better message, far better preacher. <laughs> We're back to more miracles next week.